Like we had started a few weeks ago on the Lord's Prayer. I'm sure if we remember very well, we went quite a long way as far as our Father, hallowed be your name. So we actually looked at the part of prayer which is called adoration, which is looking at the goodness and the greatness of God and acknowledging it and thanking him for who he is. We, begin, we began to understand the relationship between ourselves and God and we realize that we have been given a chance to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ who died for us on the cross. So once we know where we stand with Jesus, we can then be able to move on with our prayer life, with our Christian calling. Today we're going to look at the second session. Uh, I've divided it into about four or five sessions. So today we're looking at the second session, which is intercession. And what is intercession? Any ideas? I did you a favor of looking it up in the dictionary. And it says, it's the action of intervening on behalf of another. And the synonyms for that word are mediation, intermediation, negotiation, arbitration, intervention, the list goes on and on and on. And there's also a second definition that was in the dictionary, which says, it's the action of saying a prayer on behalf of another. What then, as Christians, is our definition of intercession? I understand intercession as a process of standing in the gap for other Christians, for other people that are in need of prayer. We see a lot of uh, powerful men of God who interceded for others during their time when they were called. For example, we see Abraham interceding for Lot, who was in Sodom by the time the Lord was uh, going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin. We see Abraham standing in the gap and is actually negotiating with God. And we see that in Genesis 18. But then, as he negotiated, he realized that there was less than 10 people. God had said he would spare Sodom and Gomorrah if there were 10 people who were godly. But because there was not enough people, because Abraham had stood in the gap and interceded, God sent his angels to go over and get Lot out before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And we see another instance in Numbers chapter 16 when the children of Israel were rebelling against uh, Moses and Aaron. A few times we are told that uh, Moses and Aaron went down on their faces uh, as part of uh, pleading with God not to destroy the people. We see in verse 20 it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. 
Then they fell on their faces and said, O God, the Lord of the spirits of all flesh, shall, shall one man sin and you be angry with the whole congregation? So they stood in the gap for the whole congregation because God was in a position to destroy the congregation. But they stood in the gap and they prayed for them. And God had mercy because of their action. And we also see uh, in verse 46 to 49 when we see Aaron literally standing in the gap. I'll start reading from verse 42. It says, Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned towards the tabernacle of the meeting and suddenly the cloud covered, covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the meeting and the Lord God spoke to Moses saying, Get away from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And then they fell on their faces. We see them falling on their faces again. So Moses said to Aaron, take the censer and put fire in it from the altar and put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make an atonement for them. For the wrath has gone out from the Lord, the blood has begun. Then Aaron took, took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly and already the black had begun among the people. So he put the incense and made an atonement for the people, and he stood between the dead and the living. So the black was stopped. And now, now those who died in the black were 14,700, besides those who had died in, in the Korah incident. Earlier in the chapter, uh, God had uh, punished those who had rebelled against Moses by opening the earth and the earth swallowed them alive and everything that they owned. So if you want to find out more, you can go and read that story in Numbers chapter 16. <coughs> so Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting for the black had stopped. What we see here is uh, Aaron literally taking the incense and standing in the gap between the living and the dead to stop the living from dying because of God's wrath. By so doing, he has pleaded with God and God then stopped that from happening. We also have got that opportunity to go in and stand in the place of others that are perishing. So, Why are we able to do that? It is because of what Jesus said to us in John 14, 12. He says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do greater works than these. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these will he do because i go to my father and my and whatever you ask in my name i will do the father may be glorified in the son if you ask anything in my name i will do it if you love me and keep my commands and i will pray 
the Father, and he will give you another helper, that, that he may abide in you forever. The spirit, the spirit of the world cannot receive, but because it, is neither, it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So, because the Holy Spirit has been given to us, and the Holy Spirit has come, it means we now have the power. The power that Jesus promised that we were going to receive, we now have received that power. And we can do, we can literally stand in the gap and intercede for anything. We can pray for our neighbors, we can pray for our nation, we can pray for the referendum, we can pray for absolutely anything and it will be done for us because we have believed. My question is, what are we doing then with the power that has been given to us? I know for sure that some of us are shying away because we are scared. We don't realize the authority that we have been given through the name of Jesus. Jesus dwells in us. And because he dwells in us, it means that that same power that raised him from the dead lives in us and it gives us the power to do even greater things than what Jesus did. When we continue on John from verse 23, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my, and my father will love him, and we will come and make him our home, our home in him, or with him. So, when you love Jesus, when you choose him as your Lord and Savior, he comes and dwells within you. Not only him comes and dwells in, in you, it is him, the Holy Spirit, and the Father. They all come and make a home in you. So you are free and you are powerful to do anything that you want to do as long as it's within God's will. We also see in Ephesians uh, 2 from verse 6 where it says, God raised raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the, incompar the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So we have been raised with Christ from the dead and we are seated with him. We are told that Christ is continually interceding for us. So we are seated with him in the heavenly realms. And we are, if we are seated with him and he is interceding, which means we are also interceding. We just need to realize that we have been given that power, we have been given that authority, and whatever we do, we continue on a daily basis to intercede for the saints. And what's more important is Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost 
those who come to God through him, since he, is always, he always lives to make intercession for them. So once you make that choice that you want to come to Jesus, then you have been saved and you've got that intercession going on for you 24-7. And we have that power to stand in the gap for others, just as Jesus is doing for us. The, the question may be, how then do we get to the point of continual intercession? First and for all, for most, it is by returning to the Father. When you say in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that really mean? Do we understand what we mean by your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? We know for sure that in heaven everything that is done is done according to God's will. There is no opposition. The opposition in down here on earth came about when uh, men fell, when sin came about, that was the beginning of opposition. When they went onto that tree and picked up the fruit, it changed from let your will be done, Lord, because God said of this tree you would not eat. But when they picked it, they said, not your will, Lord, but my will, I choose to eat the fruit. And when they did that, sin came in and death came in, sickness came in, every suffering that we are experiencing now came in through that. But when we change our ways and go back to God and say, Lord, let your will be done over my will. We are using our will because God has given all of us a will to choose good or bad. He says in, in Exodus, I've said before you life and death, blessings and cursings, therefore choose life. And when we go back to him and say, Lord, your will be done, we are choosing life. We are exercising the willpower that God gave us to choose life. And by so doing, we are enabling God to come back and have his way in us so that he works the way he had initially done from the beginning. And in other words, we're giving back control to God. And this looks at a person in a holistic manner. Um, this means the, your whole being, your family, your time, your finances, your job, in fact, everything about you. When you surrender to God, you allow the Holy Spirit to come and live with you, in you. And guess what? When you do that, nothing will ever surprise you ever again. Because Jesus promised that when the Holy Spirit has come, he will reveal things that are, have not yet happened, things that are going to happen. So nothing will 
come to you as a surprise. He says, but when the spirit of when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. That is from John 16, verse 13 to 15. The next thing after you've surrendered is to be willing to go and do what the Lord tells you. That comes at a cost. But that is nothing at all if you have decided to follow Jesus and you are worshipping him in spirit and in truth. It, it doesn't become a chore. It's always a pleasure when you worship him in spirit and in truth. When you do that, God will provide resources. Even when you think it's really a tight situation, God will make a way. We see how he provided for Abraham because Abraham had obeyed and trusted God with his most precious possession, his son, God rewarded him. When we go to Genesis chapter 22, uh, it says, Then God said, Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moria and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain. I'll show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him. <laughs> he took with him his servant and son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set off to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in a distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while, while I go with the boy over there. We will worship, then we'll come back, we'll come back to you. Abraham, looked at, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two went on together, Isaac spoke and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, replied Abraham. The fire, would, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered and said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they got up there and he had prepared the altar and put the son on, the angel stopped him before he could sacrifice him and said for him to look and caught on the bushes was a, a, a lamb for, that he used for offering. So because he had been obedient to God and trusted God to provide, God provided. And because of, of that obedience, Abraham found favor. We also need to be obedient and we not need to become like Jonah 
when we are cold, we run to the opposite direction. I tell you the truth, if God has called you for a purpose, no amount of hiding can reverse God's calling. You can run, but you cannot hide. God will get to you. So, what is your calling? Have you taken time to, exp- to explore what it is that God has called you to do? If not, I'll urge you to spend some time in prayer and find out what it is that God has called you to do. You might find that you are experiencing difficulties and not understand why, only to find that you are being a Jonah. You are running away from your calling. But because you are not practicing the listening, you are not hearing what God has called you to do. So some practical steps that we can take in order to be intercessors. Point number one, get informed. Find out what is happening around you. Talk to your neighbors, read your local papers, watch news. You will then be aware of the situation and the crises around you. Then you can know where to start. They usually say charity begins at home. It's no point for me to going to pray for other nations while it's my neighbors are perishing, they don't know Christ. It's pointless for me to go and pray for the sick in the hospital when my neighbors are lying in bed sick. So if I talk to my neighbors and find out what's happening with my neighbors, I am able to pray for them or pray with them. And that way, I am able to go away and still pray for them. And the second point is get inspired about who God is. Get to know, be able to answer the question that was asked earlier. If you are asked, who is your God? Are you able to tell people about your God? Are you able to tell them that your God has got a face? Your God is a living God. Do you know much about him? To tell people about him. If you don't know who God is or you are unclear about who God is, how then can you pray to a God that you don't know? So we need to get inspired. And how do we get inspired? By spending time in his word. The more you spend time with someone, the better you know them. Sometimes we say we spend time with God and it's usually an average of about an, an hour a day for most people. But what happens to the other 23 hours? Where is God in those 23 hours? Wouldn't it be better to spend that one hour in the presence of God, not praying, just getting to know who God is, building your relationship with him, sitting at his lap, and getting to know him, and then use the other 23 hours throughout the day as your hours of prayer. Think about it. And 
when you are interceding, you need to, to pray specific prayers. So know what it is that you are praying for and pray specific prayers. And once you begin to pray specific prayers, you then need to pray systematically. That is, you put a system in place. I, I was uh, listening to Pete, Pete Craig. He was saying he, he's got an eight, a, a list of eight things that he's praying for, and he's got an eight-sided dice, and each time he prays, he rolls the dice and it falls whatever number he prays that specific thing. I'm not, I'm not saying for people to go and buy dice and pray that way, but as you and your God negotiate, you will know how to do it. Because prayer is an individual thing. Nobody can say to you, this is how you pray. You and your God will know how you understand each other, how you talk to each other. And then the, the one most important thing that you need to do is to get together with other Christians. There is power when we pray together with other Christians. The disciples were together when the Spirit fell on them. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, like a, blowing, a sound like a blowing violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So when you get together, there is something that happens in that togetherness. We also see in the books of Acts that the people were gathered together in Mary's house and they were praying when the angel released Peter from prison. So when you have done all these things, you can then get down on your knees and say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You have adored him and you have begun interceding. And I'll leave you with one last thought from Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision. When he went to Korea before it became South Korea and North Korea, he found there was severe hunger in that country, that children were even eating tree bugs. And what he said was, let my heart be broken with the things that break your heart. Amen.